0: Today uh, I'm going to be talking about discipleship. We talked about discipleship last week as well. So if you weren't here, I really encourage you to go onto the website and check it out and uh, have a listen to the sermon. But uh, this week I wanted to continue and I wanted to talk specifically about being a disciple of Jesus. Um, As you guys might know if you've seen the sign or if uh, you've seen any of the stuff that we put out on the website, um, the project is about making disciples of Jesus. It's really what we're about. Uh, It's on our sign, our logo, a welcome video, everywhere. But why do we have that particular um, sort of slogan everywhere? The reason is because that's our focus. That's the focus of this church. It's really our only goal. As a church, that's really our main goal. Everything else that we do, all other goals that we have, flow out from that one central purpose, to make disciples of Jesus, which is what He commanded us to do in the Great Commission. So today, uh, last week I talked about people discipling each other and that process is about discipling each other to be more like Christ. So today I want to talk about, well, what does a disciple of Christ look like? (coughs) We're passionate about people here becoming like Jesus and we believe that the church, that is you and I and everybody in here, um, all we have to do is follow Christ. And we actually help each other to become more like Him. We are the tools that, and the instruments that Jesus uses to help each other to become more like Him. Our job is to disciple each other. Now, I want to start by saying something which might seem a little bit weird or a little bit uh, out of the ordinary. And that is that I think that everyone is a disciple. Everyone, not just in this room, but everyone across the entire globe is a disciple. Everyone is being discipled. At the project, you might have heard us say before that we believe that uh, people are born as worshippers; that everybody is a worshipper. We are unceasing worshippers. It doesn't matter how hard we try; we're born to worship. It's our default position. So the question's not, "Are we worshiping something?" but rather, "What am I worshiping at this particular time? What am I worshiping?" And I think that the same could be said as our status of our status as disciples. I believe also that we are unceasing disciples. The question isn't, are you a disciple? But who is discipling you? See, because a disciple is just someone that follows someone else and learns from them and wants to be like them. And you probably don't have to think very long before you realize that you're being discipled by people all the time. There are heaps of people that we follow and learn and want to be like. Part of being human is learning. From the point that you were born you started to be affected by your surroundings. Your society, your culture, the shows that you watch on TV, the music that you listen to, your parents, your grandparents, uncles, aunties, brothers, sisters, friends, even your enemies. Everyone affects you and changes you a little bit. Have you ever noticed that weird thing that happens where families kind of seem to self-replicate themselves? It seems like a really common thing that people say, you know, Oh, I don't want to be anything like my parents when I grow up and yet for some reason they turn into them even without realizing it even though they think they're fighting against it it just happens I know I fought against this (laughs) and I don't know when it happened but all of a sudden I like listening to Radio National and gardening (laughs) which is filthy for a person my age Radio National should not be it's so that's my father's fault I'll have a moustache and be bald by the end of the year. That's the plan. <laughs> it's weird though, because it just happens naturally. There's an ad on TV at the moment uh, for the new season of The Biggest Loser. Maybe you've seen it. It has this weird statistic on it. It says that kids in families with obese parents tend to be obese themselves. I think the stat is if one parent is obese or overweight, then the teen has an 80% chance of becoming obese or overweight themselves. Obviously there's a lot of stuff in play there and obviously there's genetics and stuff that's going on but there's also this idea of family behaviour and and the sort of habits and stuff that they get into. It's amazing to see how uh, children emulate their parents. As a teacher, one of the most interesting times of the year is parent-teacher interviews where you've taught these kids for a year or however long it's been and you know that you're going to see one of their parents and you can just pick them. Like across the room, you've never met these people before, but you can just see them, you're like, I know who that is. Um, because of what they look like, they look genetically the same, but then they come and sit down and they start talking to you and you're like, aha, this kid is starting to make sense now. <laughs> All these things that I've seen in class, I, I can actually see where they're coming from. And either they're just like their parents, or they're actually reactionary to try to be different to their parents. However, probably that's not gonna last forever. See, we replicate what we surround ourselves with. We image what we worship. That's the way that the Bible says it. This is mentioned in Psalm 115. It says in Psalm 115, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. See, the Bible knows that we become like what we worship. And the same is said of discipleship. See, because to be a disciple is to follow someone and to want to be like them. It's really connected to worship because a lot of the time when there's someone that we've set up as the person that we want to be like, it's actually because there's an idolatry there that we think if we become like them, that's going to feed our idolatry. That's going to feed the thing that we want. Maybe if we idolize or if we want to be discipled by or follow A chef a celebrity chef maybe that's because we want to be able to cook like them so that we can impress people with our food and feed our fear of man idolatry or maybe there's a successful businessman or woman that you follow but really the reason is because you want to make money so you can feed your idolatry of wealth we need to think about it really carefully we need to analyze ourselves because when you don't make a decision to learn you don't stop learning You just stop realizing that you're learning. And you can see this most clearly with kids. They just pick up stuff all over the place and they haven't made a decision to listen to words and copy words but your kids will come back from school saying all sorts of stuff. Where did you pick that up? And they've just heard it around the place. They didn't make a decision to learn it. They just learnt it. When you don't make a decision to follow someone you don't stop following people. You just don't realize who it is that you're actually following. It's really important that we're not deceived you are following someone, whether you know it or not. So what it really means is when we don't make an active choice as to who we're gonna follow, we end up being discipled by our favorite author, or the people that we watch on TV, or the artists we listen to. We're discipled by the characters in video games that we play. We all wanna be the dragonborn. (laughs) Or our favorite sports stars. This is probably why society gets really upset and angry when sports stars mess up, because they're being bad role models. That's what we call it now. We don't use the word disciples. Society uses this word role models. Why do people get angry when a sports star gets drunk and punches someone? Or does drugs or has an affair? I mean, it's a bit weird. These young guys, you know, some of them, some of these guys and girls are 17, 18 years old, and all of a sudden, everything that they do is scrutinized, and it's really important. Society knows there's this belief that doing this will set a bad example. Society knows That people are watching and copying because it's a default position. It's what we do. We follow people. (coughs) In many ways we're actually a product of our environment. I don't know if you know about this debate. There's been a debate that's been going on for decades, probably centuries, uh, which is called the nature versus nurture debate. It's a question about is a person who they are because of their genetics or because of the way that they're raised, their surroundings? Is it unchangeable DNA or is it my upbringing? Now, I don't have an answer for that debate, but I think it's pretty clearly both. Um, if I do go bald, that's not my fault. That's my dad's fault. Although no, apparently, <laughs> apparently it's my mum's dad's fault. Apparently that's the way it works, and he's not bald, so I well, should be fine. My wife's very happy about that, but we'll see how we go. But there's, there's also this big way that nurture plays into it as well you know I think musical taste is a great example we seem to hang out with the same with people that have the same taste in us and in my family there's a great example Uh, I'm one of four boys in our family and every single one of us loves hardcore heavy metal music Um, I don't think that there's a genetic code in us that makes us love that music I mum and dad don't like it so obviously it's not from them you know as we were growing up, there was one person that we all wanted to emulate. It wasn't our parents; it was my older brother Tim. And Tim made a decision—I don't know, he must have been 10—that metal was going to be the thing that we listened to in our family, and that was going to be it. I heard my first uh, metal song when I was eight, and that's been my favorite band ever since, which is weird, you know. But there was no other way. There was no—if we tried to listen to other music, well, Tim would give us—he would give us a beating. <laughs> And so there was no chance. But the truth is now, it's not like I listen to it because I'm forced to. I listen to it because I like it. I think that our tastes were shaped by the musical leader, the person who we were following. Like I said, we all learn from someone, and we usually turn into what we watch. We image uh, that which we worship. There's a really good example of this that you hear when people talk about school kids. A lot of the time you hear the mum say, Oh, he was such a good kid but he got caught up in the wrong crowd. And it's true. That's legit. Like you guys have probably seen that happen to people. People get caught in a particular crowd and they change significantly. As teachers, we see it all the time. Sometimes, if there is just one person not in your class, the whole class is different because they're good days. They're great days. But it's amazing how one person can change a whole group of people. And I mean, this is an old tactic. Separating people actually changes them. They become almost like different people because they don't realize, and it's the hardest thing to convince a 14 year old that their their best friend is actually damaging them in some ways. But that's actually what's going on. Our friends influence influence us. You know, it's true for yourself. You know, as a great example, you know, before I became a Christian and, and started following Christ, I used to swear a lot. And even now, years and years later, if I hang out with people that are swearing, it's a very easy thing to start to not think about and not realize. And probably everyone has different things like that. That the people that are around us affect us and we don't realize that they're affecting us. We turn into the people that we hang out with. Like I said, at the project, we're interested in making disciples of Jesus. And that means we want to help people to be like Him and to follow Him. And we want you to hang out with Him. Because you become like the people that you hang out with. And we also want you to hang out with each other. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is a really practical and easy way that we can help each other. Because if we become like who we hang out with, then we should all hang out with each other. Because we're all trying to be like Christ together. And we can all help each other do that. But this can obviously be really difficult. I know it can. It can be really easy to lose sight of God and what he has done and who he is and go off on our own little paths all the time, following something else or someone else other than Jesus. You know, I was always struck by the story of the Exodus, particularly by that really crazy time in which the Israelites just keep—they kept on forgetting almost purposely all the things that God had done for them. And if you're a Christian today... You stand in the same sort of territory as the Israelites of the Old Testament after being freed miraculously from the God in Egypt. You have been freed. And it's really easy for us to be like them. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time having a look at that story. So here's the scene. The Israelites are slaves for the Egyptians and have been for generations. God sends Moses to set them free. And God does so by proving his might to the pharaoh. God does a series of miracles. He sends swarms of locusts and plagues of frogs. He turns the river Nile into blood and he blots out the sun. The pharaoh is impressed but not impressed enough and he continues his persecution of the Israelites. And then God kills every firstborn son of the Egyptians but the Israelites he spares. The Israelites know what is happening and they have to put blood over the top of their door so that the angel of death will will pass over them. This is the first Passover. Finally, after this, the, the Pharaoh relents and lets them go. And the Israelites have now been freed from slavery by an obviously loving and very powerful God, and they know about it. They know that God has done it. They follow Moses to the Red Sea, and that's where they stop. They're a bit trapped here, and then all of a sudden, Pharaoh changes his mind, and he chases after them. So what do they do? They start to complain. They freak out. They forget about the incredible power of God that they've just witnessed firsthand. And they say, why did you take us out of Israel if we're just going to die out here? And then God does something even more amazing than all of the things he had done previously before them. He parts the sea and lets them walk across the seabed. They do this with giant walls of water on either side of them. And here's a bit of perspective. It actually doesn't say in the Bible clearly how many of these Israelites there were. It only gives us an indication that there were 600,000 men. That's a lot of people, 600,000 people. However, scholars have done research and they've tried to work out, based upon the average family size of people at that time, how many people it would have been. And they say probably between 2.5 and 4 million people crossed the Red Sea. That's insane. That means it took days, not hours, most likely. For 2.5 to 4 million people to walk any distance is going to take a long time. Which means possibly either they were walking the entire time or they stopped and slept next to giant walls of water that could come crashing down at them at any time. I mean, I can't even imagine that. That's crazy. Witnessing the power of God like that, an amazing thing. As they left the seabed, the water walls came crashing down behind them and they killed the Egyptians who were chasing them. And then they make it to the desert on the other side of the sea. And they get hungry. So they complain to Moses and say, where's our food? And God provides food uh, for them miraculously from the sky. And then they complain to Moses again, where's our water? And God provides water for them. And finally, it seems as though they're settled. And Moses climbs up the mountain to be given some instructions by God. And then we get to this crazy passage in Exodus 32. I'll read it out. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow there shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's crazy. That is weird. You think that's weird? After everything that they've been through, that then they would make a golden calf and say, this is what did it? This thing that we just made out of the things that were just recently in our ears? Later on in the chapter, Moses comes back down to the mountain after speaking to God. This is what it says. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and he made the people of Israel drink it. I love that part. That's so cool. He made them drink it. Because it kind of reminds me of the fact of what it said in Psalms. You become like the idols you worship. There's a nice bit of poetic justice there that they had to eat the thing that they decided to worship instead of God. Now you might be asking, well, what's this got to do with discipleship? Well, I think that there are We are in danger of this happening to us all the time. It obviously expresses itself differently these days. Not many of you, I assume, have got a golden calf at home that you dance around, I hope. Uh, But the mechanics are the same. If you know Jesus, you've had a conversion experience and through that you've witnessed something of the glory and the power of God. And you've probably had experiences in your past when God has been close to you, spoken to you, revealed himself to you in majesty and power. Just like the Israelites had. But we're always looking to follow someone. And when Moses went up the mountain, the Israelites found somebody else. His brother Aaron. They wanted to worship something solid, so they reverted back to the old ways, the ways that they had learned from the Egyptians, and they worshipped a statue. Instead of the God, they just held up walls of a sea for them to walk through. They had this desire within them to be taught by someone and to worship something. And we have the same desires. We are constantly in danger of forgetting the good things that God has done for us and others and going after something else trying to be like somebody else and how do we combat this because this is difficult well the main thing is we don't lose sight of Christ there's this old acronym in Christianity WWJD it was kind of cool in the 90s and now it's not cool at all (laughs) it's weird but it's really important it's actually a really important question we should be asking what would jesus do as a disciple we want to be like jesus so regardless of how cool the question is or whether or not you wear the bracelet anymore you should be asking what would jesus do that's the question that a disciple asks so before we go any further just take a second right now yourself and think for yourself who are you following Ask yourself, who are you following? Do you ever ask yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? Is that one of the ways that you make decisions by thinking about what Jesus does? Is this the measure that you make decisions by? Now, you might well say that you're following Jesus, but now ask, well, who does your lifestyle and your choices suggest you're following? We can say that we're following Jesus, but if someone looked at me and looked at my lifestyle, would that demonstrate that I'm following Jesus? is my lifestyle countercultural cuz Jesus it certainly was At this point in time it's important to discuss what a disciple of Jesus really looks like Probably the most important thing to say about following Christ is the thing that he said himself take up your cross and follow me This is not a suggestion This is discipleship This is what it means to follow him It's not a life decision about what car I should get or whether or not I should get a mortgage. It's the radical realignment of everything in your life. The cross of Christ realigns everything. We're going to watch a video and it's a little bit brutal at the start particularly. This is a video with a certain purpose and a certain goal and it's not for people and it's not aimed for people that don't know Christ. It's really aimed for those grumbling Israelites so willing to worship something else other than God who they already knew. It's aimed for Christians that follow Christ, but not completely, or that have accepted Jesus, but they're still living their own way. So, pay heed to its brutality, but don't be condemned by it. Be convicted of it if you need to be. But this is just a reminder, and there's a couple of things in particular that I want to talk about afterwards. Hopefully, it will work.
1: it through another service and stand by a signpost that points you away from hell and the wrath of God and to heaven and life and forgiveness and hug death to your breast. Oh, the madness. You are a vile, filthy, helpless, hell-deserving, wretched son or daughter
2: of Adam. You know nothing of true repentance and therefore of true and saving, or you just occasionally have a little whimper in the closet when your conscience gets so active you can't live with it, and you whimper and cry and ask God for a little help, and then you go right back with your hand and your eyeball firmly attached. Oh yes, once in a while you take a dull paring knife and scratch your hand, and occasionally. You, you scratch around your eyeball, but you haven't begun to cut off and cloud. You better listen to the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter. But he that does the will of my Father in heaven, if ye he by the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, he shall live. If you live after the flesh, you'll die. The cross does not give us a minor shift or two with regard to a few of our ethical and moral and religious values. The cross radically disrupts the very center and citadel of your life from self to Christ. And if the cross has not done that, you're not a Christian!
1: My friend, faith! until the cross has radically disrupted the very center and citadel of your life
2: and brought you from a life of commitment to serve self whether it's religious self moral self proud self covetous self lustful self prideful self unforgiving self lazy self it doesn't
1: matter what are the focal points of the reign of your
2: self if you've gone to the cross in union with Christ, it's been shattered. I want you in that day when you stand with me before the judge of the world to have him say, come you blessed. Come you blessed. I don't want to look at you standing there saying, Lord, 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 Lord. I
1: named you in earth. I named you before the elders. I named you before the church. I named you in prayer meeting. I named you in witness. And Lord, now, Lord, Lord, did I not this, did I not that? I don't want
2: to hear him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of an You never were made a doer of the will of God. You learned enough, and you learned what to say properly enough to be accepted for what you professed yourself to be on earth and now the day of judgment has come and the truth is now to be known
0: yeah it's a pretty intense video as i said the line that really stands out to me in that is this one The cross does not give us a minor shift or two with regard to a few of our ethical and moral and religious values. The cross radically disrupts the very centre and citadel of your life from self to Christ. I think that's a brilliant way of saying it. I think that church often can come across, and I guess when we talk about uh, religion, it comes across like, here's the... Here's the little prayer you've got to say. Here's the things you've got to do. But it's still all about you. And that's not what Christianity is. It's all about Christ. This is what discipleship of Christ is. There's five points that I want to conclude with and talk about that I think summarize what it means to be a disciple of Christ. When we say here at the project that we want to make disciples of Jesus, this is what we mean. People who want to be like him and follow him. So this is, what does it look like? Well, first and foremost, as I mentioned last week, it should mean that we are defined by love. John 13:35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is probably one of the biggest indictments of the church as a whole across the world is that we're not known by our love for people. If you're a disciple of Christ, if you want to follow Jesus, loving people is the main goal. If you don't love people, if you struggle to love people, ask God for help. Pray that he would change your heart to be more like his. Ask him to help you see see people the way that he sees them. There are some really intense verses about love in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13.2 says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. In 1 John 4.20, it says, If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. I mean, I just think, this idea is the most countercultural idea that there is about Jesus, to love everyone. Not just people that you can get stuff from. Everyone. And when it says loving the least of these, it doesn't mean loving the widow and the poor kid and the cute little African babies that you can sponsor. It means loving your neighbor who cut off the tree that you liked over your fence. It means loving that person at work that just annoys you for no other reason than they just want to annoy you. It means everyone. Secondly, following Jesus, as the video pointed out, is a complete recentering of our life. Our life, which has been built up by society and those around us for all of those years until we came to know Christ. Our, that life is shattered. That life is gone. Jesus becomes the centre. He dethrones us from being the main focus of our life and he takes over. All that we do and all that we are Is altered by that thirdly we give jesus complete authority in our life a follower of christ follows him wholeheartedly obedience is good but if it's not complete it's corrupted you don't just give him some or most of your life there are no secret sins that he is totally okay with you pursuing he has complete authority in all that we do the way that you talk the way that you act The spouse you choose, the way you raise your kids, where you live, the job you do, how fast you drive your car, what you eat, what you watch, what games you play, the music you listen to, the way you spend your time, the clothes that you wear, everything. There is no part of your life that Jesus is not connected to or the Lord over. That list may have sounded like I just picked random stuff, but really, think about it. You might be saying, does, really, does re- Jesus really care how fast I drive? Yeah, he does. Okay, We have laws in this land. Romans 13 says to obey the government. We can't follow Jesus and just be compulsive speeders breaking laws all over the place. At least if you're going to do that, don't have one of those little fish stickers on the back of your car so that people know they've just been overtaken illegally by a Christian. <laughs> Jesus has authority over all of them. Why does Jesus care about what you eat? Well, he wants you to be healthy. He doesn't want you to eat fast food every day if it's going to mean that you've got a significantly decreased uh, lifespan and you're not going to be able to look after your kids well and disciple them well. But not only that, he doesn't want you to have idols. And food can be a huge idol. In fact, pretty much anything that there is in this world can be an idol, which is why it's vital that there are no parts of your life that are off limits to God. Fourthly, generosity the life of a disciple is marked by generosity and this is born from love for other people remember the rich young ruler who approached jesus and said that he kept all the commandments and asked what else he had to do jesus replied sell all of your possessions and follow me there's countless times in the bible that we are told as followers of christ to look after people to love people and to do so out of generosity which means it's probably going to cost you something Think about the cost of the good Samaritan. Money for the inn, a few days of his life, all for some complete stranger. What a cost. If your generosity has never hurt you, you're either really loaded or you're not as generous as you think. These days I think we have a really moderated view of generosity. We say, yeah, we give our 10% to the church on a Sunday and then we leave it at that. That's our generous bit. The rest is ours. Well, perhaps we don't even do that. It can be really easy to think, well, I've got this big house now. I can't very well sell it, can I? But that means I can't really afford to tithe. You know, because of my mortgage repayments, because of my car repayments. I'm sure God understands that. Well, I'm sure he does. (laughs) I'm sure he understands it better than you do. I'm sure he understands your heart in that situation. All of us make a decision about our standard of living, and without realizing it, that actually limits And affects our ability to be generous. Well, I want to be generous but I've made the call that I think these days it's a a sensible thing to have three 50 inch LCD TVs in my house and then I'll give what's left after that and we call that generosity. Is it? Is that really generous? Or is it safe, painless giving and after we've taken care of our own self and our own idolatry first? Lastly, a disciple is invested in eternity and the kingdom of God. This is what happens when we come to know Christ. He becomes the king. And he takes over the throne in our hearts that we previously sat on. Our view shifts from our own kingdom and building our own kingdom to his. And the things that we place importance on are realigned to line up with what he thinks is important, the building of his kingdom. And you can see we arrive back at our starting point, the Great Commission. Our principal occupation as Christians is to make disciples. And you can also see that this is a self-replicating process. Disciples make disciples. Just like kids turn out like their parents and students are affected by the crowd that they're in, disciples of Jesus make more disciples of Jesus. That's what it's all about. A disciple of Jesus is invested through time, service, and what they own to make other disciples, to lead people to Christ and to help people to grow. There's a message online by this guy called uh, Paul Washer. I don't know if anyone's heard of Paul Washer before. He's a pretty intense Southern Baptist over in the States. And this message that I'm going to be doing a bit of reading from is a really intense message. You can look it up if you want to be really challenged. It's actually for youth mainly, but I think it applies to all of us. It's called Shocking Youth Message by Paul Washer. You can get it on YouTube, and it's really full on. Throughout it, he talks about following Christ. And he is talking at this point to give you a bit of context, uh, to a group of around 5,000 young people. And these are some of the things that he says. Conversion is not like a flu shot. Oh, I did that. I repented. I believed. The question is, my friend, are you continuing to repent of sin? Are you continuing to believe? Because he who began a good work in you will finish it. Most of our Christianity is based on cliches that we read on the back of Christian t-shirts. Most of our Christianity comes from songwriters and not the Bible. Most of what we believe is dictated to us through our culture and not by the Bible. The Bible never teaches that a person can be a genuine Christian and live in, the continuous, uh, live in continuous carnality and wickedness and sin all the days of their life. But the Bible teaches that the genuine Christian has been given a new nature. The genuine Christian has a father who loves them And disciplines them and watches over them and cares for them now am i saying that a christian is without sin no because in first john we learn that christians do sin and if any man does not acknowledge his sin he knows not god he's he's not walking in the light so what's the difference what am i really getting at what i'm getting at is this if you are genuinely a born-again christian a child of god you will walk in the way of righteousness as a style of life what is the sign that someone has become a genuine Christian? I wish that we would start teaching this again. What has happened to our theology? What happened to our doctrine? What happened to our teaching? It went right out the window. No one wants to study doctrine anymore. They just want to listen to songs and read the back of Christian t-shirts. What happened to truth? Truth tells you this. The evidence, the way that you can have assurance that you are genuinely a born-again Christian is that you, is that you do, as a style of life, the will of the Father. What you need to know is salvation is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And faith alone in Jesus Christ is preceded and followed by repentance, a turning away from sin, a hatred for the things that God hates and a love for the things that God loves, a growing in holiness and a desire not to be like Britney Spears. This was a while ago. I don't think anyone wants to be like Britney Spears anymore. Not to be like the world and not to be like the great majority of American Christians, but to be like Jesus Christ. And at this point in the video, the audience erupts in applause. And he waits for it to die down and he says, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. I didn't come here to get amens. I didn't come here to be applauded. I'm talking about you. It's a really intense message. Uh, it's, it's spoken to a bunch of dis- disaffected teenage Christians that have grown up in the church, and he knows about what the culture's like. It's brutal. These people had bought into their culture, and the cross of Christ. Had not realigned their lives and re centered their lives. And that's what discipleship's all about. And it is really, really, really easy to be deceived because we kind of want to be. So, at the project, that's what we're about making disciples of Jesus. And we do that by pointing people toward Him. That's your job in the church point each other towards Jesus. When you're in the midst of circumstance, when life has become tough or the direction is unsure, you have a choice. You can let your circumstance dictate your direction or you can let Jesus dictate your direction. The problem is that when these circumstances arise, we can often, we can't see past them. We lose sight of Jesus and what he would do and what he would have us do. We get confused and our sin deceives us. This is the value of community. This is the purpose. We help each other. We disciple each other. We point each other towards Jesus. The cross of Christ radically realigns us from being focused on ourselves to being focused on him. We will always follow someone and we will always be learning of someone. Jesus wants that someone to be him. So make sure that it is and let others help you toward the goal. Nathan, do you want to come up and... You pray with me as we close and then Nate's going to sing a song. Jesus, thank you that you died for us. Thank you that you have made it possible for us to have life with you. And I pray for everyone here, myself included, that you would cut away at the callousness of our heart that's been created by culture. That you would reveal to us the areas in our life that we don't follow you that we follow someone else, that we let our idols in. I pray that you would remove our deception, that we willingly have believed a lot of the time, and that you would realign our lives, and that you would be the centre. Amen.